The following program does not necessarily represent the views and opinions of Reality Radio 101, its advertisers and sponsors, or its listening audience. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to the Urban Forestry Radio Show, here on Reality Radio 101. In this radio show and podcast, we learn about fruit trees, permaculture, arboriculture, and so much more. So if you love trees, and especially fruit trees, or if you're interested in living a more sustainable life, then this is the place for you. I'm your host, Susan Poisner of the Fruit Tree Care Training website, OrchardPeople.com. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Urban Forestry Radio Show with your host, Susan Poisner. To contact Susan live right now, send her an email in studio101 at gmail.com. And now, right to your host of the Urban Forestry Radio Show, Susan Poisner. Hi, everyone. I remember when I first noticed that community gardening had become popular in my city. It was 2008. And suddenly it seemed like every neighborhood had a community garden where local residents could grow cucumbers and tomatoes or lettuce and other vegetables. For my city, it was a pretty new trend, and I saw that there were so many wonderful benefits. City dwellers learned how to grow their own food. People were able to spend more time outdoors. And of course, they enjoyed lots of free and fresh organic produce. But me, well, I always have to do things a little bit differently. So I thought, instead of growing vegetables on public land in a community setting, why don't we grow fruit trees? I knew that community orchards existed in the United Kingdom, and I felt that it was time that we plant a community orchard here in Toronto. So I worked with other volunteers to plant Toronto's first community orchard in a public park, and we were so excited. That is, until some of the trees experienced pest and disease problems. Then we didn't know what to do and we didn't have anyone to help us. I'm a journalist, so I did my research. I interviewed experts and I went to visit different orchards. My quest was to discover how to keep our fruit trees healthy and productive. In the end, I wrote my fruit tree care book, Growing Urban Orchards, in which I share our story and share the amazing fruit tree care lessons we learned but it took years for me to figure out how to care for those beautiful trees. And I'm still learning more every single day. Now, if you live in the United Kingdom today, you actually have that support that I never had. And so my guest on the show today is Lewis McNeil of The Orchard Project, which has helped over 500 groups establish and maintain community orchards in the United Kingdom. Lewis is going to tell me about the Orchard Project and he will go through some of the steps that they take when establishing a new community orchard. 
Now, like a lot of recipes, the secret is often in the preparation. The work starts long before those first trees are planted, but we'll talk about that in just a minute. In the meantime, I would love to hear from you. Are you involved in a community orchard? If so, where is it and how is it going for you? Or do you have any questions for Lewis? If you send in an email during the live show today, we will enter you into today's contest to win a copy of my award-winning fruit tree care book, Growing Urban Orchards, valued at $19.95. Now, when you email us, do remember to include your first name and where you are writing from. Send your email to instudio101 at gmail.com. That's instudio101 at gmail.com. And now to Lewis McNeil of The Orchard Project. Lewis, welcome to the show today. Hi, Susan. Uh, it's a pleasure to be on the show. I really write this show, so it's really nice to, uh, to have you invite me on. Thank you. Well, it's so great to have you. And I want you to tell us a little bit about The Orchard Project and your story, because you know, I was inspired by stories in the United Kingdom of very old community orchards. But you, you guys started in 2009. Tell me what happened. Well, it's an interesting story, actually. It was two uh, sustainability students uh, that did a master's in sustainability. And they're very interested in transition towns and they really wanted to do something meaningful after that course. And they were looking at community food as one of the big parts of transition towns and sustainability. And like you mentioned before, they'd seen that there was lots, there's this whole new kind of like interest in community growing all around London, across the UK, taking off everywhere. But it's really focused on annual veg and being interested in transition towns and permaculture, they were really interested in actually looking at long-term sustainable food systems based on trees. And arguably in a temperate climate, growing food from trees is one of the most truly sustainable ways of growing food. And they found that Although the UK has such a rich heritage in fruit growing, uh, you know, today people were learning about salads and tomatoes and uh, maybe some soft fruit, but a lot of that old wisdom and knowledge that was around not too long ago was no longer there. So there you can see the idea of the Orchard Project and that's how it all began. Now, some people might say, hey, why do you even, you know, why do you need it? Like, all you have to do is pop some trees in the ground. So we're, do you ever see people struggling and making mistakes if they don't have guidance of an organization like yours? All the time. And it's a really sad thing because in a way that can be, that can have very negative impacts because it can really put people off growing fruit trees or any trees for that matter. Because essentially, it's very easy to get people together to plant trees, particularly now in this uh, climate of people really starting to wake up to the reality of climate catastrophe. I don't know about Canada, but in the UK, tree planting is in vogue right now. Everybody wants to plant trees. And there are lots of organizations that do that, you know, that kind of get lots of people together, get all these trees in the ground, get the, the money shots, and everyone goes home with that kind of warm glow in their heart. Uh, but, you know, if, if you're not there then to look after those trees during those vital years of establishment in the first uh, at least three years after planting, particularly in light of our situation in an urban environment, we have some challenging conditions in terms of poor soil, uh, other things like uh, wind tunnels, all kinds of things that the urban environment throw up. You have that to contend with. And on top of that, we have the climate, uh, climate breakdowns to contend with. So, 
if you don't have a good watering rotor and uh, you're using strategies strategy such as mulching, then often those trees that were planted with all of that love and care uh, end up dead. Um, that's a really, really sad thing that benefits no one. Wow, that's really kind of, it's hard to hear. And um, I know in our community orchard, sometimes we have to pull out a tree and sometimes they get so sick, you have to remove them. So to have somebody with, a, a, with the wisdom of oversight, with, with the wisdom of experience to help a group through is amazing. So let's start from the beginning. A group comes to you, uh, or do you go to them, I don't know, and they want to start a project. How do you choose the site? Tell me a little bit about the beginning of the process. So because we've got a little bit of a, a reputation now, we've been around for 10 years, as far as I know, we're the only, certainly in the UK, we're the only charity that, uh, you know, focuses purely on community orchards. So people know that, uh, you know, particularly in the London area, because that's where we started recent years, we've moved to different areas. People know about us, such with us. So we often don't have any shortage of community groups that contact us wanting to plant. Uh, but of course, they all have different situations and they live in different areas. And uh, first of all, we need to find out a little bit about where they want to plant. So uh, generally, it's somewhere close to where they live. Obviously, we're in a highly uh, an intensely populated area being in London. Uh, people want to plant the trees right where they are. So that's good because, of course, anyone who's had a, a growing site, you know, even a 20 minute journey or more away from their, their house knows that actually that can be a real issue in, in the ongoing upkeep and maintenance. So uh, they will contact us and say, look, we've, we, we're a school and we've, in our school grounds, we really want to plant an orchard or uh, we're a, a tenants uh, residence association on a council housing estate. And we've got a little bit of land in between the, the, the tower blocks. We'd like to plant some trees there. Or it might be the friends of a park group. We have uh, a lot of great parks, thanks to the Victorians in, in London. Uh, it's actually a very green city overall, really. Uh, so it might be groups associated with that space that say, right, we've got this space, we want to get these trees in. So we'll go out, check out the site, have a walk the site with them, find out about what that group's already been up to, whether they're an established group and they've already uh, achieved other things together or whether they're starting out fresh. And so as part of the site survey to assess the suitability, we'll be doing that kind of classic uh, information gathering that you would do with any kind of uh, permaculture design where we, we want to know about observations of the site. We want to know about where the, the cold parts are, where the frost pockets are. We want to know which areas are flooded during the winter rains, which is more of an issue now, of course, with, with climate change. Uh, we'll you know find out if there's anyone on site who's lived there for a long time, who's maybe got that knowledge and wisdom that they don't even realize they have just because they bought their dog there for decades, you know, daily, uh, that might kind of have an insight that newer residents don't have. So we tried to pool all of that together, get as much as we can, uh, scope out what we have, do a couple of basic soil tests. So generally things like, you know, I don't know if you used a ribbon and ball, uh, texture test and the jam jar test to have an idea of what we're starting with. But the, the point here is we're, we're talking urban orchards. We're often talking about, uh, sites that a commercial orchardist wouldn't even look at, you know. So one of the things that over my time at the project, and I've been planting community orchards as my full-time 
work for 10 years now in London is this sort of shifting realization that actually because of all the yields, all of the outputs, the positive outputs and yields of planting a community orchard, uh, poor land to start with shouldn't be necessarily a barrier to a community group wanting uh, to have some fruit trees and having some fruit trees because, you know, getting some fruit out of it, sure, is going to be one of those benefits, but there's so many more things. So over the years, we've established uh, strategies of dealing with, with poor soil, which I'm sure we'll get a chance to talk about. But for example, focusing a lot on rootstock, because there are a lot of different rootstocks, particularly with the apples, which if you choose a more dwarfing one, it's not going to survive so well in this poor soil. But the more vigorous rootstocks, uh, you know, with a little bit of helping along in terms of improving soil structure over the years, uh, may well live to be a, a healthy tree. Uh, so it's an ongoing experiment and we're starting to see what's worked well now and what hasn't, uh, because not all of the trees thrive, of course. Uh, but yeah, that's, I think, a real key point there that even if you have poor land, in some cases, fruit trees can be a good, some fruit trees, some species, some rootstocks can be a good option. So uh, I'm going to jump in here and you have said so much. I want to unpack even just a little bit of it, but wow, <laughs> I am so glad to have you on the show. And I think the thing that jumped out in my mind is for people to remember that the land that we are planting our trees on in an urban environment is land that a commercial orchardist would never ever consider because the soil is terrible. It's compressed. It's not nutritious. It's not filled with nutrition. And so in a way, when you're planting a community orchard, your expectations of the harvest should be different. Mm -hmm. And I also love what you said about, we're not just planting them for fruit. The fruit for me is a bonus. Exactly. That is a beautiful bonus. For me, it's community building. For me, it's being together in the out of doors and being healthy and connecting with each other and learning great skills. So I just absolutely love that point. I'm just going to dive in here. We have an email from Jake. Hello, Susan, and hello to your guest listening from New York City. Fantastic topic and information, especially to us here in NYC. Thanks for the information, Jake. Jake, thank you so much for being our first email of the day and for emailing us. That's wonderful. Okay, so we're talking about the sites. The site can be challenging. But let's talk about the other piece of the puzzle. You can't have a community orchard without volunteers. So do you ever find that you have to say no to a group because the volunteers aren't committed enough? Or how do you even check that they have the right kind of volunteers that can take on a long-term project like this? Uh, yeah, that's a really good point there. Uh, I mean, for us, really, the community is key and have some kind of willingness to reach out and connect people and bring people together because we see humans as being an essential component of an urban orchard ecosystem because you know an orchard is uh, a relationship between humans and people it's not fully going towards a you know a kind of it's somewhere in between agriculture and a forest right but the human is a, a key part of uh making it all happen and caring for the trees so we do need to have an indicator that there's going to be enough people involved and for that we actually ask that each group commit to having at least four to five people from their community uh, attending our orchard leader training so what happens then is the next step is we'll 
get those people together from all over the city and they all meet together and we do this training uh, which they get an extra bit of uh, we kind of really invest in them so that they are kind of the point of call or the ambassador if you like back in their communities uh, that people can go to but that's only really the start of that because that's the sort of nucleus of the group but of course then it's an ongoing process really and so is the design it's an ongoing process where we'll be seeking to try and bring in as much of the community uh, over time as possible uh, to make it as inclusive as possible but to make sure it's addressing the needs of uh, you know all of the people that live there and it's not the usual suspects because we often find in this kind of project uh, that you have you know the kind of often confident often middle class people that drive forward these projects uh, but then it, without realizing it sometimes they can be quite kind of exclusive environments so we really map out the community and see how we can sort of reach out to harder uh, to reach communities for example and really make it representative of who lives there that's incredible. That's that's fantastic and an interesting insight about who is attracted to these projects. Maybe people with a little bit more time, a little bit more money. Um, we got an email here. Hello from Los Angeles, California. Enjoying the radio show so far. Please enter me into the book contest. Thanks for the free information, Josh. Okay, thank you, Josh. Um, also, I had some interesting comments on Facebook when I advertised this show, and I want to read a couple of them to you, Lewis. So one was from Jeff in Des Moines, Iowa, Des Moines, Iowa. So Jeff says, I've done a few semi-public community orchards, so he has assisted in establishing them. Ongoing maintenance through establishment is key, and it's tricky to keep volunteers, especially through COVID lockdowns. So his, he says his semi-public community orchards are in a health clinic, a community college, and he's working on a university site right now. So the point I wanted to ask you about that he's kind of making is how do you keep volunteers active in these projects? And is it even your problem the, for the orchard project? Or is it once you guys set up the orchard and leave, it's somebody else's problem to deal with? Really good questions and really good to hear people kind of like setting up orchards in different cities around the world and, you know, kind of like public community uh, orchards like this. So that's great to hear. Uh, there's a few key things there. One is really building in what we do with our groups is we make sure that the groups start at our training with this orchard management plan. And this is not, again, a document that will be used over the, over time that people can contribute to. But one important part of that, other than the annual routine of those key kind of orchard tasks that we have to do like going out and pruning and uh, mulching etc is to really build in celebration into that so i guess first thing is i just mentioned this idea of having your very clear kind of calendar of uh, annual tasks that need to be done in the orchard and somewhere where they can be communicated so whether you have your own social media means of doing that or having posters physical old school kind of paper, uh, you know, kind of uh, places where that information is that draws people in uh, and actually making sure that people know when this stuff's happening, making sure they know they can come along, uh, potentially use tools. Although, I mean, I can talk a little bit about some of the stuff we've done around COVID if you want as part of this, but right now, for example, shared tools may even be an issue. But uh, yeah, there has to be stuff going on throughout the orchard calendar 
also in your design you could plan in for this in terms of the plants that you're planting because often what can happen is there's all this excitement about a new community orchard great we're going to have fruit great there's going to be a big planting day it's going to be loads of fun everyone can get involved uh, and then it's like okay the trees are planted mulched guarded and now we wait because even though we're using modern uh, rootstocks that have more precociousness spread into them so we'll get fruit earlier we're still going to be waiting particularly as we recommend to our groups i don't know about you susan but that uh, that we should in the first few years remove any developing fruit so that tree puts all of its energy and resources into establishment for a good root system and for that uh, vegetative growth so we get a good sort of framework uh so Lewis, i've got to thank you for saying that because i say that all the time and people think i'm a big old meanie <laughs> yeah, so there totally. you go i'm not the big old meanie out there I, there's many of us in that position it's so hard, yeah. It? yeah yeah it's hard but there are th what you have to do you have to do with the orchard and you sacrifice a couple of years worth of fruit in order to allow the tree to establish itself I've got another email here. We're going to go through and two more examples of orchards could I, that we could can... I just quickly finish up oh, on that point? Oh, I'm so sorry. I, yes. I went on before I kind of was actually to plan in perhaps some things like some soft fruit, which you may get a crop within the first year. So something, some herbs, something that people can engage with and interact with and harvest and, and perhaps take something from and use even in the few years waiting for that uh, top fruit crop. Ah, that's such a good idea. So something like cherries or service berries or Well, I mean, quicker. even for us, I mean, we'd consider cherries as, you know, a, a sort of tree fruit still. We might still wait for them to crop. But I was thinking more things like soft fruit in the UK is a term we'd use for like gooseberries, red currants, black currants, more of your kind of bush and shrub fruits. That's brilliant. Yeah. So you get some harvest. That's fantastic. Okay, we have an email from Mike. Mike says, wow, great information today. Does Lewis have a website? Mike is listening from Dayton, Ohio. Website. Yes, the Orchard Project, uh, who I work for, has a, a website, so you can check our website out. We actually have a lot of really useful resources that are free to download in, in terms of like all of the considerations you might have to uh, go through in planning an orchard. Uh, we're continuously sort of adding to that. We've We've got all sorts up there, so check that out. And we're on all the user, usual kind of social media platforms as well, like Twitter and, and, and Facebook and stuff. So you can find all that on the website. Great. So let's do, before, we're going to have a commercial break in just a minute. But before we do, I want to read one more Facebook uh, post that was interesting from Dan in Wisconsin. So Dan says, just started a community orchard in Dane County, Wisconsin. We will have over a thousand trees Whoa. of heritage varieties free to all when they start to produce and he says it is at the silverwood country farm park southeast of madison and near edgerton so quick comment on that when i saw that i got back to dan right away i said oh my gosh dan i want more details who's going to take care of the trees, tell us all about it. Exactly, he yeah. didn't get my message yet, and I'm sure he will reply. But have you ever planted a community orchard that big? And would you even recommend it? I don't know. Well, I mean, again, like hats off for, uh, you know, ambition there, because that's huge. And the thought of having so many trees that people can go and access is, is fantastic. But uh, just from our perspective and from our experience, one of the things that we recommend to new groups is 
perhaps to start a little smaller uh, and build on that success and then continue to add trees going forward. Uh, I'll give you an example. When I'm talking community orchards here, because of uh, space being something that's quite a, a rare commodity often in a uh, built up city like London, we're often talking about uh, probably an average of about kind of 15 trees to start with and that tends to be a good amount but people you know the ratio of human care to tree is a high one uh so i mean a thousand trees uh, i i i hope that you've got uh some serious uh kind of plan to look after all of those in terms of irrigation in terms of mulching to make your water go much further but i'd love to hear how that goes and and how many people you're able to engage to uh to keep those trees cared for for sure and it could be with Dan's story, we don't know. It could be there's a farmer who has a bigger orchard sure. and they've yeah, put yeah. a corner with a thousand. But it just to put it out there like, A, if you have no experience, don't start with a thousand. But just to know that there are people all over. I've got another email from Mark in Edmonton, Alberta. He talks about he's working on school uh, school orchards, plantings on public land, Um he says standard size trees help to ensure our harvest share. So he's working with that kind of rootstock that will give you a full size tree. And he says in the orchards that he's worked on in Alberta, he said it has seen periods of neglect and care. So it's been a bit of a, you know, and it happens. You've got people who are enthusiastic and then they slow down. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, I have to a point on that is that the great thing about trees is that if you can get them established, they can take quite a lot of neglect and nobody looking after them for for many years until they might not be uh, you know peak cropping or you know they might be riddled with pest and disease or be congested because no one's pruned them after the formative years. But they'll hold on in there until some new kind of guardians step in with the enthusiasm to look after them. And a quick point on the standards: it's great to hear people talking about planting on large rootstocks because you know commercially across the world people aren't doing that anymore and that means that we're losing these majestic old trees that importantly uh, become veteran trees which have that whole amazing biodiversity value because of all the nooks and crannies. Uh, in terms of yield you might find that actually you'll get a higher yield from a, a concentration of smaller rootstocks uh, than a, a single large tree for example but in terms of biodiversity and importantly, resilience through climate breakdown, because a larger tree with a bigger root system is going to be more resilient to climate shocks. Then that's that's great to hear. And it's, you know, in the long term, uh, we're going to have longer lived trees that hopefully remain productive. That's incredible. So thank you, Mark, in Edmonton, Alberta, for that. So so let's take a minute. We're going to minute. We'll just uh, listen to a word from our sponsors. And I'm so grateful for the sponsors that allow this show to happen. So, Lewis, you'll hold on. You're okay holding on for a minute? Absolutely. Okay, wonderful. And after the break, we're going to talk a little bit about how you train your volunteers. So we'll do that in just a minute. But for now, you're listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show and Podcast, brought to you by the Fruit Tree Care training website, orchardpeople.com. This is Reality Radio 101, and I'm Susan Poisner author of the award-winning fruit tree care book, Growing Urban Orchards, and we will be back right after the break.
if you're listening to this show, you are passionate about fruit trees. But do you care how your trees are grown? Silver Creek Nursery is a family-owned business, and we grow our fruit trees sustainably using only organic inputs. We stock a huge range of cultivars, like Wolf River, an apple tree that produces fruit so large you can make an entire pie with just one apple. We also carry red-fleshed apples, like Pink Pearl, as well as heirloom and disease-resistant varieties of apples, pears, apricots, cherries, and more. We ship our trees across Canada, and we can also supply you with berry canes and edible companion plants to plant near your trees. At Silver Creek Nursery, we grow fruit trees for a sustainable food future. Learn more about us at silvercreeknursery.ca. G'day gardeners, it's JJ here, your Aussie gardening expert. We all know young, newly planted trees need to be watered deeply and regularly to kickstart growth. But correct irrigation just isn't as easy as you would think. Sprinklers waste bucket loads of water and they wet the leaves and branches which can result in the spread of nasty fungal diseases. At Greenwell, we have a system to direct the water deep down into the soil to the roots of your trees where it's needed most. But watering takes time. So municipalities across North America, Europe and Australia are now saving time and money by using Greenwell water savers for newly planted trees. So why don't you? Dig the easy to install recycled plastic rings into the soil around your young trees. Then each week, you can fill the rings with up to 50 litres of water and that water filters deep down into the root system where it is needed. Think of Greenwell Water Savers as your insurance policy for young trees. Learn more at greenwellwatersavers.com. Welcome back to the Urban Forestry Radio Show with your host, Susan Poisner, right here on Reality Radio 101. To get on board, send us an email right now. Our email address is instudio101 at gmail.com. And now, right back to your host of the Urban Forestry Radio Show. Susan Poisner. You're listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show and podcast brought to you by the Fruit Tree Care Training OrchardPeople.com. This is Reality Radio 101, and I'm your host, Susan Poisner, author of the award winning Fruit Tree Care book, Growing Urban Orchards. In today's episode, we're talking about creating community orchards. And my guest is Lewis McNeil of The Orchard Project. This is an organization that has helped establish dozens, actually hundreds of community orchards in the United Kingdom. And earlier in the show, he spoke about finding a suitable site and forming the orchard team. But fruit tree care involves a lot of skilled hands-on care. The volunteers need to know how to prune the fruit trees, how to feed them, and how to protect them from pests and diseases. 
So in this part of the show, we're going to talk about how that group trains these orchard teams across the United Kingdom. But first, are you involved in a community orchard? Do you want to be, or do you have a question for Lewis? If so, please send us an email during the live show to instudio101 at gmail.com, and we will enter you into today's contest to win a copy of my award-winning fruit tree care book, Growing Urban Orchards, valued at $19.95. So remember to include your first name and where you're writing from, and send it to instudio101 at gmail.com, and you can email just to say hi and enter the contest. You don't have to say anything too profound to email in. So now back to Lewis. Tell me a little bit about what kind of training you are then offering the volunteers in these different neighborhoods, in these different communities. They've come to you. They want to start an orchard. How are you going to train them up? Okay, so again, this is something that over 10 years we've continuously added to and tweaked and improved upon. Uh, and it's become quite an extensive uh, training journey in a way. So uh, because we recognized also that uh, we're a charity and we, we, we kind of rely on, on funding grants that come and go and they're usually uh, within a time scale. And we started to find that we couldn't really embed a lot of the skills and knowledge into the community within the time scale that we had that the funding allowed. So as well as our orchard leader training, which I mentioned before, which is just a day to kind of kickstart them, uh, looking in particular about the, the key aftercare and maintenance stuff in the first few years after planting, uh, and also a session on expanding the community, using the orchard as a community space so that people engage with it in the long term. Uh, we then extend that into the planting day. So instead of talking about how to plant trees in that day, the orchard leader training, we then uh, have the planting day itself as a celebratory day, but a training day on how to correctly plant trees, because I'm sure, as I'm sure you know, there's so many little tips and ways that you can really get those trees off to the best start. So that's a continuation. Uh, we'll then uh, return to lead some kind of formative pruning workshop as well, uh, usually during the dormant period, uh, obviously in the summer for your pruner species. But then we'll do a follow-up visit six months later to check whether the trees are establishing okay, do any troubleshooting around the pest and disease. Uh, and in that time, of course, they can, they can ask us any questions, they can send us photos. Uh, so that's the immediate part of the kind of the, the training around planting and after planting. Uh, but more long term, we're then inviting them to do more training that we're putting on over the years and they'll typically get uh, sort of discounted places on any training that we're, they're running. But beyond that, we've really expanded this idea to try and create this uh, mutually supportive uh, orchard, community orchard network across our cities. So we started to train up uh, a group of uh, volunteers called the Orchard Mentors, and we uh, gave them tools, we gave them lots of additional training, and they all volunteer to take on different orchards in their particular area, which they'll go back to uh, after perhaps we don't really have the funding to go out there ourselves and support them anymore. So they could go out and do hands-on stuff uh, all around, you know, kind of any aspect of organic uh, fruit tree care for years afterwards. We've also created an accredited course, which uh, take place, takes place over several months. Uh, and it's a certificate in community orcharding uh, where people can learn, uh, you know, 
all of this stuff in great detail and actually get this accredited level three accreditation on community orcharding so they're out there they've got all of these extra skills uh, and then what we do is we try and connect and cluster all of our local and regional community groups. So for example, that might be one of the 33 different boroughs that make up London, will cluster the community orchards in their groups. So if anyone from one of these groups is further down their orcharding journey, uh, they can support a new group. If someone from group A over here is uh, really good at formative pruning, they can go and help out with this other group. So it's sharing of resources, sharing of skills, and really creating this community of highly skilled, uh, supporting, mutually supporting uh, community orchardists. Wonderful. That sounds amazing. First of all, quick email here uh, from Sam. Hello from or Orlando, Florida. Very interesting show today. Thanks. Well, thank you, Sam. So talking about the training. So let's backtrack a bit. You've got a new community. They've got five volunteers. Do they get one day of training? Is yeah, it a full so, day? Okay, so they get one day of training. And if people want to go further, they can go and actually be certified as a community orchardist. And that takes months, but it's like one day a month. Like, what is that going to look like for people? Well, that's, that's slightly separate. So the orchard leaders who come from the different groups, uh, they'll come to, we'll typically do a, uh, two different training days, one for, say, North London, one for South London. And in each of those, we'll bring together all of those new groups that come together from that different area uh, of London. And they're getting to know each other. That's the start of that kind of them entering the orchard network there and the, the mycorrhizal connections, if you like, of these new community orchards uh, teaming up. Uh, the, the, the certificate in community orcharding, that's something anybody can do, even if they're not associated with our orchards. But of course, we do have discounted places for uh, our orchard leaders to attend that. So that's an additional thing that they can do. But after the orchard leader training day, which is mandatory for our new groups, you have to come to that if you want us to invest in you and continue uh, supporting you to plant a community orchard. They'll then attend our planting day, which is like, as I say, the next stage in that, where they'll be trained up on how to plant the trees. Uh, and then after that, we'll be going back to do a pruning day at their orchard, or again, sometimes we'll cluster the orchard groups together so we can do one formative pruning uh, training day for all of our new orchard groups so they can come and then go back into their community. Uh, and so, then they get that support from the orchard mentors, which are additional volunteers on top of that, if they need it. I'm so curious, Lewis. So you've been doing this now for 10, 10 years, That's right. long time. So where did you get your experience from? These are lost skills. And when I say lost skills, it's not only just specialist fruit tree pruning. It's in a way, it's identifying what pest is eating the leaves on your fruit tree. It's what is that maggot inside my apple and how do I get rid of it? Um, there is so many, there are so many different things to learn. How did you learn this stuff? Well, I'm still learning every day. Every time I go and interact with a fruit tree, I find something. For example, the other day, just on my little uh, garden on my boat, I came across for the first time a lacewing larvae, which I knew what it was and I'd seen it in all the pictures. But in all of my years as a kind of backyard naturalist, I'd never actually seen a lacewing larvae. And every time you look at a fruit tree, you'll find a different interaction happening. So for me, my journey was just one of, always been passionate about nature since I could walk and about me being fortunate enough that uh, I've had this interest throughout my life and that led into uh, wanting to live in a more sustainable way uh, and that led into this idea of, of, of food being so vital uh, and wanting to do community food stuff and educational stuff so uh, I managed to get a job 
with a charity called Learning Through Landscapes in London. And that was a, a school's orchard project. And that's what brought me to London before I actually joined the orchard project. Uh, and yeah, to be honest, I learned a lot on the job from there. But because it is my main work, uh, I had some experience with fruit trees and I knew about the idea of long lived perennial food systems. But I didn't have that much experience at that time. So obviously I was invested in and my work was going around getting trained by the best people up and down the country and that's been an ongoing thing that reinforces itself if you're really passionate about it it's interesting because i started my journey around the same time that you started yours and my inspiration one of them was there was a book from the uk i think it was called common ground that's right and these were these old timers who in i think the 70s planted the first community orchards way back way before so I have to know, have you met any of the people who started those community orchards so, so many years ago, who who started this path for us to then follow in their footsteps? Yeah, well, uh, so we actually got some training uh, from a member of Common Ground way back in, in the LTL days for fruitful schools. Uh, and since then, I've actually learned that one of my favorite authors, a guy called Roger Deakin, who wrote a fantastic book uh, called Wildwood, A Journey Through Trees. And it has an excellent section in there on the journey of the apple from the Tian Shan mountain range up in uh, Kazakhstan and Kyrgyzstan. Uh, it's a fantastic book. I really recommend that. And it's one of those authors you read and you feel like he's your friend and you kind of know him. But sadly, he died uh, at an untimely age and never got a chance to, to meet him. But Common Ground were really a big inspiration uh, for the Orchard Project uh, and they actually began the tradition of Apple Day which is now a worldwide tradition uh, usually takes place around October and they want they were all about a celebration of what makes a place unique what's unique about the locality uh, of a place and in terms of looking at the heritage of all of the different uh, apple varieties that might have been uh, developed in any given area so they've done a great deal to really kind of like push forward the uh, community orcharding movement for sure and and again i didn't comment on it before but i want to say now i love your stress that celebration is part of community orcharding it is an integral part it is so important that we celebrate all this work we are doing together that we celebrate the gift of the trees and what they offer us and the the abundance that they offer us and all they need is just a little bit of you know educated hands-on care that we can offer We have a very beautiful email here from Tom. So Tom says, hello, what a beautiful concept. How do I go about asking my municipality here in San Diego, California to let me start a community garden? Is there any go-to advice online? Thank you from Tom. And I really appreciate that question because dealing with municipalities is sometimes a problem. Before I hand it over to you, Lewis, I just want to say that uh, communityorchard.ca, so communityorchard.ca is the website for my community orchard. And there is a page there, I think it's called Orchards 101, and it gives you a little bit of advice on dealing with your municipality. So that's one online resource. And now to you, Lewis, we've got a few minutes before our next commercial break, but what would you suggest? How do you suggest people reach out to their municipalities? Well, it's interesting. Back to the idea of uh, sort of local uniqueness. Uh, 
you know, I'm I'm experienced in approaching the local authorities that make up the different boroughs of London, but I don't really know how that works, you know, in the States or in Canada. Uh, so I guess the key thing would be to connect with community groups and community orchard groups. And uh, I'm sure like there are some organizations uh you know that actually would give this kind of advice i don't know who they are across the atlantic but but help other groups to set up and have documents uh that will uh, guide groups from setting things up but the key thing to remember is what you're trying to do is a really really positive thing and these municipalities have all got targets to meet in terms of community cohesion in terms of climate resilience now and sure in, 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 in the, these days of covid and mass pandemics and stuff in terms of uh, mental well-being and food resilience so actually you may well find that what you're doing ticks a lot of boxes for that municipality and in a way you're doing some of the things that is under their remit anyway so and I, I guess it will probably vary a lot from place to place as it does in London with different uh, local authorities some are really for it some are a little bit wary but with some good communication and importantly telling them it's not going to be more work for them because this is a community orchard and it's the community looking after it not more hours for them spent mowing or uh, you know managing the site so. I think that's excellent advice. So let's go and have a few more words from our wonderful and much appreciated sponsors. Um, so Lewis, you'll hold on for another couple of minutes, eh? Sure thing, yeah. Okay, great. You are listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show brought to you by the Fruit Tree Education website, orchardpeople.com. This is Reality Radio 101 and I'm Susan Poisner. And we'll be back right after the break. If you're thinking of planting fruit trees and you're looking for a wide selection of cultivars, consider Wiffle Tree Nursery. Our 62-page full-color catalog includes 300 varieties of fruit and nut trees, berries, grapes, and other edible perennial plants. Not only that, in our catalog, we help you through the selection process with tips and advice about all aspects of growing fruit trees. You could learn about adding nitrogen-fixing plants, rootstock choices, and even about planting a windbreak if you have a windy site. We're a one-stop shop as we sell fruit tree care books, pruning tools, organic sprays, and natural fertilizers. We're located in Alora, Ontario, but we can ship all over Canada. Call us at 519-669-1349 to order your catalog. That's 519-669-1349. Wiffle Tree Nursery. Call us today. Hi everyone, congratulations on investing in a new fruit tree. Fruit trees are a blessing. With just a bit of skilled hands-on care, they can give you plenty of delicious organic fruit for years to come. I'm Susan Poisner, an urban orchardist from Toronto, Canada. And over the years, I've learned that how we care for our trees when they're young will determine their success and productivity in the long term. If you do want to learn more, there's lots more that I would love to teach you, like how to prune fruit trees of all shapes, ages, and sizes, how to optimize tree health, 
and various different ways to protect your trees from pests and disease. So check out my website at orchardpeople.com where you can watch free videos and read great blogs about growing fruit trees. Or you can check out my online certificate in beginner fruit tree care, where in just eight hours, including fun and informative videos, interactive quizzes, and information-packed eBooks, you can learn how to keep your tree healthy and productive for years to come. Happy growing from orchardpeople.com. Welcome back to the Urban Forestry Radio Show with your host, Susan Poisner, right here on Reality Radio 101. To get on board, send us an email right now. Our email address is instudio101 at gmail.com. And now, right back to your host of the Urban Forestry Radio Show. Susan Poisner. You're listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show brought to you by the Fruit Tree Care website, orchardpeople.com. This is Reality Radio 101, and I am your host, Susan Poisner. My guest on the show today is Lewis McNeil, London Project Manager for the Orchard Project, which has helped over 500 groups set up community orchards across the United Kingdom. Earlier in the show, we talked about how the Orchard Project helps groups set up their orchards and the early and the pre-planning stages. We'll also hear a little bit more about what support that they offer community orchards after the trees have been planted. We'll talk about that in just a minute, but there's just a couple more minutes left to enter today's contest. If you email us right now at this very moment during the live show, we will enter you into today's contest to win a copy of my award-winning fruit tree care book, Growing Urban Orchards. It's valued at $19.95. So email us now at instudio101 at gmail.com. And do remember to include your first name and where you're writing from. That's instudio101 at gmail.com. So, Lewis, we actually got one more email here already, and I want to read it. It's from Rini in Toronto, and Rini is involved in my community orchard. Thank you so much, Rini, for sending this in. So, Rini says, very cool. Nice to hear people are interested in starting more community orchards. So, isn't that nice? One of my team. Lovely. Anyways, <laughs> so one thing that sure, we didn't... You should, you should just give it a book, right? You think so? I, if, not, I'll tell you something. <laughs> Lewis, if, if Rini wins, it's going to look very suspicious. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll have to see what happens with that. But actually, something that we didn't talk about in the beginning, once you train people up, I understand that they are actually involved in the design process for the orchard. You're not just giving them a ready-made 16 trees, always the same trees in each That's place. Right. So how, how do the volunteers, these new volunteers, get involved in creating their own orchard? Well, in order to create a real sense of ownership in any new project like this, we think it's really important to have them... Um, uh, 
really have a, a key role in, in creating that space from the start. And that starts with the design. So after teasing out some of the things that they might actually want from the fruit. So for example, do they want to do some enterprise project down the line, make chutneys and jams, things like that? Uh, do they want to minimize the, the fruit hungry gap, which we have in the UK, I'm sure in a temperate climate that's such as yours, the same thing. So for us, really, we can get fresh fruit from July all the way through into uh the winter and even into the new year with good keeping fruit if we plan well and pick those varieties it give us a long cropping season so once we've got what the group wants from the site then we look at creating uh the actual the, the design of the space and, and we've actually come up with this really incredible tool for that and that's our 3d uh, orchard design kit which is this kind of laser printed uh, very thin sort of wood uh, cutouts and you kind of like we have a scale map of each site which we we get that site we can get that online and then we get that to a specialist print shop so we have these big uh, huge sheets with a scale plan that fits all of these different fruit trees that we have on the, this board we have different rootstock sizes uh, so they can actually start to get a sense of what the orchard will look like we can really nail the spacing because whether you're planting an orchard uh, or a food forest, obviously spacing is really, really key in terms of not packing too much in there and, and taking into account the needs of the trees in terms of competition. So it's a really good way of creating a solid design and a way of visualizing what that orchard is beginning to look like because we have additional features you can add things like soft fruit beds maybe comfrey things like that so we've got 2d bits you can put around we can use that on big overlays with sort of tracing paper so then you can add other things like uh, energy flows through the site so kind of classic permaculture uh, designing uh, but it's a collaborative one and that really helps people to get excited and engaged in the planning. And that's an ongoing process that doesn't stop on, on that planning day. Uh, they can take that with them to the rest of the group. And of course, with any design like this, it's an ongoing thing as we tweak and as we respond to different needs of the ecosystem and different needs of the people. That's so fun. That's a really lovely way to get people to really feel ownership of the space. It's like we designed this. This was ours. The other thing that I find interesting is I guess it depends on what the community desire is. Like some communities may want to make the uh, fruit into jams and sell them in a farmer's market. Like this could be an income making project for some communities. Is, does that ever happen? Oh, definitely. Yeah. And over, over the years, I think we've actually got a good sense of what really works if the group are serious about uh, generating money from our orchards, uh, you know, because obviously the thing that you'd most uh, obviously think of would be making things like jams or, uh, you know, maybe even uh, making cider. But if you look into the full cost of doing something like that, take jam, for example, if you're looking at the energy used, uh, you know, from, from boiling all of that fruit, and then, uh, you know, in terms of like how much you then have to charge per jar, you might not a great, get a great return on that. So one of the best things we've found is actually groups learning to graft. And that's one of the things we teach them is fruit tree grafting, because once you learn how to graft and you've got a source of rootstock and then you can propagate that rootstock, then for a few pence or even for free year after year, once you've got your kit, you can create new fruit trees, which after a year here in the UK, you could easily sell on for at least £10 each. Uh, you know, obviously someone needs to look after them. But that's a really, really good way of spreading fruit trees, but also for a group to be empowered 
to actually create new fruit trees and sell them on. So yeah, it really, really varies. I mean, some groups, they want to do it purely from an educational um, perspective. They want people to actually experience the delight of picking a fruit from a tree and eating it. They want children to learn about where their food's coming from. Uh, it, it can really, really vary, you know. I mean, some groups, they really want the fruit from themselves. So maybe they're selecting varieties and fruits that other people won't even recognize things like medlar, which is something that's having a bit of a comeback in the UK, but popular in the Middle Ages, but a lot of people don't know what it is now because it's like a real russeted little funny looking apple uh, or like a variety like the knobby russet from the Sussex area of the UK, which looks hideously deformed. It looks like it's diseased. You wouldn't pick it, but it's a delicious apple. So some people will pick those fruits, so other people don't pick them. Uh, other people, they're just really happy to have anybody passing by, seeing some fruit, and, and picking some and, and enjoying it as long as they don't clear out the whole orchard of course amazing oh my goodness i'm so pleased that i had you on the show now it's time we need gary in the studio to help us with this because we had quite a few emails and we need to know who's won the copy of the book all right gary i, can I help us with this? i have the bucket let me shake it up and let me pull out a piece of paper and it looks like Jake from New York City. <gasps> Jake is the winner. Oh, Fabulous. Jake. Oh, I'm so glad it wasn't Rini because it would have looked very, very suspicious. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you so much, Gary. And thank you, Jake. I'm going to send you an email, get your address, and send you a copy of my book. Hopefully you will enjoy it and perhaps it will inspire you to establish a community orchard or to plant your own fruit trees if you do not have them yet. So anyways, thank you, Jake. And thank you, Gary. And thank you so much, Lewis, for coming on the show. Are there any last words for thank listeners who have tuned in today and really enjoyed hearing you and your inspiring talk? Well, thanks for listening. And again, thank you for inspiring me hearing about all these great projects. I mean, if not now, when this is a time to really kind of be planting more trees, but of course, why not plant more trees that actually give us all these other benefits and fruits as well and make our cities better places to live and better uh, to, to be placed to weather the, the shocks that we're going to have in future years because we're in difficult times and this is a great positive way to, to start dealing with those. So yeah, thank you all. Okay, thank you so much. So that was Lewis McNeil of The Orchard Project in the United Kingdom. Did you enjoy the show today? I hope so. And if you did, I'd love to ask you a huge favor. This podcast can be downloaded from a lot of different podcatchers like iTunes and Stitcher. Shows with more ratings are promoted more to new viewers. So I'd love it if you could go to your podcatcher and rate and review the show. Your ratings and your feedback would make me feel wonderful. Uh, but they'll also help bring more listeners to the show, making it possible for me to continue producing the show for many years to come. So thank you so much if you can do that. And that's it for today's episode of the Urban Forestry Radio Show. To listen again or download other episodes, you can find them at orchardpeople.com slash podcast. I'm Susan Poisner from orchardpeople.com. Thank you so much for tuning in. And I really look forward to covering a different topic with you next month. So tune in then, and I'll see you next time. Thanks, and goodbye.
been listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show on Reality Radio 101. To learn more about the show and to download the podcast where I cover lots more great topics, you can visit orchardpeople.com slash podcast. The show is broadcast live on the last Tuesday of every month. And each time I have great new guests talking to me about fruit trees, food forests, and arboriculture. If you're interested in learning more about growing your own fruit trees or just about living a more sustainable life, go to orchardpeople.com and sign up for my information-packed monthly newsletter. If you like this show, please do like our Orchard People Facebook page. You can also follow me on Twitter at at Urban Fruit Trees. Thank you so much for tuning in. It's been wonderful to have you as a listener, and I hope to see you again next time. Thank you for listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show with your host, Susan Poisner, right here on Reality Radio 101.